0: We're talking this Christmas season about where the word Dayspring comes, the name of our church, Dayspring. Uh, People always ask me, Pastor, you know, did you name that after the greeting card company? It's like, no, we didn't do that. Or my son goes to a Christian college and it's called Dayspring. Did you name it after that college? It's like, no. Uh, The word Dayspring is actually found in the Bible two times. We're looking at probably the more popular time it's mentioned, and that is in the book of Luke. So in the New Testament, you have Matthew, Mark, Luke okay and uh, last week you could go online you could listen to our podcast I really set the stage so if you didn't hear last week's message I'd I'd really encourage you to to go online and listen to the podcast you can listen to Spotify or Pandora or wherever Uh, but I want you to listen to it because you really get the basic of the story and then today is more of a part two but I'll tell you what I'll do tell you what I'll do we got time are the Packers playing today what time are they playing at Siri's telling me that 325, thank you Siri, <laughs> uh, okay, 325, so that's, we could be done by 325, all right, if you, can you go with, can you help me out to this today, and, and whenever I say, you know, something that's really profound, would you just say amen, okay, if I tell a joke, would you just laugh really hard, okay, thank you, and the more you do that, the sooner we'll get done, all right, you got it. <laughs> I shouldn't have said profound because there will be no amens today. Anyway, so in this story, um, uh, in Luke chapter 1, is really cool because what happens is there's a guy, his name is Zacharias, and, and he's older in years. Him and his wife do not have children. It was kind of a social deal, like a stigma, not to have kids. And we saw all these cute kids up here today. I love it. I think it's so great. I just love seeing them all dressed up. Parents, kudos for you getting your kids dressed up for church. I mean, nowadays, the last place you know, people get dressed up for is church. I just think we're in God's house, and you know, we're a guest at his house. We should show respect, but I think it's so wonderful that you did that today. I think it's good, but this guy in the story, Zacharias, he was a priest, and it was in Jerusalem, and, and he had this job, this once-in-a-lifetime job, to go back into the temple, very sacred area, and basically he gets back there, and he meets an angel, an angel appears to him, the angel Gabriel, and says, guess what? You're, you know, you and your wife are going to have a child. And basically Zachariah says, I doubt that. And so Zachariah says, okay, because of your unbelief, you can't talk and I'm going to turn off your hearing <laughs> until the baby's born. And so he comes out of, the, out of the temple and everyone's like, what happened? He tries to explain, you know, bottom line is him and his wife uh, end up expecting a child and they're well, well up in years. It's a miracle right there. And the child is born, and, and, and the people ask him, well, what are you naming your child? Because it was tradition, of course, to name your child after your family. And he says, well, I'm going to name the child John. And the moment he says that, he writes it down, uh, his voice comes back, his hearing comes back, and the people are amazed. And, and this, this baby, so those of you who know the story, the baby is John that we know as John the Baptists, right. So, and what, what sometimes you forget about is John is related to Jesus, okay? They're going to be cousins, right? Exactly. So, but, but his job, because he's a little bit older than Jesus, uh, his job is to kind of literally to go in front of Jesus, if that's kind of the right way to say it, and he's kind of telling all the Jewish people coming up is the Messiah. We've been waiting. I mean, remember, the Old Testament, you know, was done. It's been 400 plus years. They hadn't heard from God, you know, hello, you still there? And then John comes on the scene and says, yeah, he's there. And guess what? The Messiah who you've been talking about and waiting for, for the last, you know, however many thousands of years, he's really is coming and he's coming in our lifetime. So John's job was to get people ready for this, and uh, and if you look down in Luke chapter one, let's look at verse 76. And and this is what Zacharias says, and here is the word dayspring in the Bible, okay? So he says this, and now, child, this is talking about John, his son, shall be called the prophet of who? The prophet of the highest. So you're gonna be a prophet for the Messiah, okay? For thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways. Look it down to verse 77, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins, through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the church, say it with me, dayspring from on high hath visited us, to give light to them that sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet in the way of peace. So the word dayspring, and we talked about this last week. Uh, is is really? Some people say, "Well, it's the sunrise." Well, it's actually not the sunrise. It's actually the light before the sunrise. And and I showed you this from last week. Let's take a look at this picture. This is uh, from the Cadillac Mountains that we visited this fall. This is this is a day spring. So it's it's still night outside. It's still dark, but you start to see the light before you see the sunrise. Let's take a look at the next photo. And that's the sunrise, right? Because you're actually seeing the sunrise. So the day spring was really meant to give a a traveler in the dark of night, not knowing which direction to go, all of a sudden they see the light on the horizon. Oh, that must be east. So the day spring was literally meant to give direction to someone who was lost, someone who literally was in darkness. And that's what he says. Look at verse 79 of Luke chapter 1. We just read that, but this is what we covered last week. The purpose of dayspring was look at the beginning to give light to them that sit in darkness. And, and, and we talked about that a lot last week. And I think it's interesting. It says those that sit in darkness. It doesn't say they're moving in darkness, it doesn't say they're progressing in darkness. It doesn't say that they're accomplishing anything. It's basically like they're stuck. You don't know the light. You don't know which direction to go. Therefore, you're not really doing anything good. You're in darkness. And the Bible paints a pretty good picture of what a society looks like. Now, listen to me very carefully. The Bible paints a very good picture of what society will look like when it's in darkness, meaning it doesn't want to see the day spring. It doesn't want to see direction. Let's, let's spend a few minutes on this, and let's talk about this, because I think we really need to understand this in order to understand what we're going to talk about today. Romans, the book of Romans is in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Romans chapter 1 explains what a society looks like when it refuses, it refuses to receive light, so to speak, or to get direction from the Heavenly Father, from God. When, when a society rejects this book, Romans chapter 1 paints a picture of what society starts to look like. Let's look at it. Verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold. That's an interesting word. You should take your pen and underline that. The word hold here literally means to suppress, to push down. When society suppresses or pushes down i don't want that book put it away from me we don't want to hear from that when society suppresses the light of this book we start to see what happens verse 20 for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen you can read the bible anyone can read the bible being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. There is no excuse for this world to be in darkness, but this world chooses chooses to suppress or hold back God's truth. Verse 21, Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became, look at the next word there, vain in their imaginations. And their foolish heart was, look at this word that's underlined, what was their foolish heart? It was what? Darkened. Remember what the purpose of the day spring from on high was? To give light to those that sit in darkness. And, and, and the writer of this book, Paul, is telling the, the people, the Christians in Rome, there's these, society is purposely suppressing the goodness of God, suppressing the truth of God, and therefore their heart and their life will start to become darkened. It's not getting better it's getting worse. Now, quick pop quiz. I want you to pay attention here real quick and help me out. Is society getting, as a whole, honestly, be honest, is society getting better or worse? How many of you think it's getting better? How many of you think society is absolutely insane, it's getting crazy, and it's getting worse? I mean, is it just bizarre or what? It's like what you read on the news, like 10 years ago, you'd be like, that's never going to happen. And here we are living in a society that just keeps getting darker. Look at verse 22 Professing themselves to be wise, oh, we're so smart, we're so intelligent, they become, what does the next word say, fools, verse 25, who changed the truth of God into a lie. Society without God will take this book and say, phony baloney, that's a fairy tale. It's a lie. And worshiped and served the creature more than the creator. This society that's darkened on purpose because they refuse God will start to worship. Now listen, will start to worship the creation over the creator. The focus of society that rejects God will start to be more concerned about the creation than about the one who created it. Have we seen that in our society in the last 10 years? I mean, really, the whole world is scared to death that the world is going to be destroyed and we're going to ruin it and there's not going to be anything left. Can I just give you a a thought of of encouragement here? Listen, I recycle. I'm very cautious about that. We're we're very cautious about that here at this church. We're responsible citizens. But the Bible says that Jesus is coming again and does not say that the, the earth or the world will be destroyed until he destroys it on purpose. So, so don't fear, sit back, relax, don't worry about it, we're not going to ruin civilization, okay, we want to be responsible, we want to be smart, I'm all for that, but don't worry, okay, the earth will still be going, there will still be civilization, we'll still be alive when Jesus comes to take his church home, and then he's going to destroy it. So do I believe in global warming? Absolutely. Done by Jesus Himself, (laughs) but not before Jesus does it. You know, and again, I'm all for being smart and safe. We got to take care of our planet. We got to be responsible. Look down at verse 28, and even as they did not like to, so in other words, they choose to, they choose to not like retain God and their their knowledge. They choose to push this book out of the way. Guys, this is why we're in such a mess in our society today because people choose to get rid of this book choose to suppress the knowledge of this book. And, and, and what happens is we're living in a society that is contrary to this book and is against what this book has to teach. And, and, and the, more, the more we push that aside, the darker society is going to get. Now, let me encourage you on this too. I'm all for being involved in politics. I'm all for voting. I'm all for you know, having your say. I think it's important that we check the box, that we get involved. I think that's great. But just so we understand, according to this book, putting a different person in a different office is not going to save this earth, okay? It's not going to save, it's not going to change morality. You could, you could have, you know, the greatest preacher you want in the White House. <laughs> that's nice. It's all the other offices that are going to be a problem too. Why? Because society keeps pushing this truth out of the way, all right? And I'm all for getting the right people in office. Don't, don't take me wrong on that. But don't think that, well, if we just got, you know, Ronald Reagan back in the White House, everything would be fine. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Because society, the individuals, our neighbors, you know, the people we live with, have chosen to suppress this book. And things will just keep getting worse until the change is in people's heart and they finally realize, wait a second, you are the Savior of the world, and, and God does have a plan. We'll talk about that here in a moment. Go down to verse 29 being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, which is bad character, whispers, which is slanderers, backbiters, haters of God. This is a picture of what society will look like when we start to suppress God. This sounds like I'm reading the the Milwaukee Journal. I mean, (laughs) this is what's happening. Despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things disobedient to parents. Well, praise God, that doesn't happen in our society. I'm, I mean, one, at least one of the things does isn't true. Verse 31, without understanding, covenant breakers, oh boy, without natural affection. Sounds like hate speech right there. It's not. It's just the truth. It's just the way it is. Implacable or truce breakers, unmerciful. That, that's the darkness that the world is sitting in today. Because just like, just like Paul told the Romans, you have pushed the truth of God, you have suppressed it, the result is right there. When you read that, you see a very accurate picture of the way our world, not just our nation, is going. And guess what, church? Until there is a revival across our land and across the world, it's going to keep getting darker. It's like someone's got the dimmer switch and they keep turning it darker. Can it get any worse? Yeah. Is it gonna get it worse? Yeah, I don't I'm not excited about that. I'm not happy about that. But until people understand that this is the answer to life's problems, that God is the, the solution, it's just gonna keep getting darker, church. Now let's take let's take a look at the rest of that verse in Luke, okay? Can we do that? We gotta get done in order for Aaron Rodgers to to throw that football. Here we go. Luke chapter one, verse seventy eight. So let's go back to that verse. So the tender mercy of our God, whereby the dayspring, again, this is Jesus from on high hath visited us. Look at verse 39 or 79, I'm sorry, to give light to them that sit in darkness. Who's that? Well, that's society without God, like we just talked about. We covered that last week. And in the shadow of death. Now look at what's the other, what's the other purpose of the dayspring? The first purpose was to give light to those that are in darkness and the shadow of death the Savior of the world. But what's the, what's the other purpose? To guide our feet unto the way of peace. To give guidance to our feet. Why do we need guidance? Because it's like we're walking dark and there's no light and we can't find our way and we don't know which way to go. So the purpose, the job, the, the goal of Jesus Christ when he came was also to give guidance. This is how you live, people, this is how you have your marriage. This is how you treat your spouse. This is how you raise your children to show this guidance to people, to guide people in the way of peace. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. I, this verse was always a frustration to me as a kid because I think it hit me between the eyes. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Christians, be not conformed this world. Christians, don't be like the world. Don't be, this word literally means molded like the world. Do not be molded like the world. The reason that the day spring came was not only to give light to those in darkness, not only provide a way of salvation, but to show people the right way, the correct way, the proper way to live. And he says one of the things is, I'm telling you, don't be like the world. In other words, which means what, Christians? It means Christians should be different than the world. That's just what it means. We shouldn't be like the world. We ought to be different than the world. Christians, Pastor. Well, how should Christians be different? I wrote down a quick list. Well, I think here's the, here's my quick list. Guys, listen. I think as Christians, I think we should have a different language than the world does. I think our speech should be different. I just I just think it should be. What do you mean? I just mean we shouldn't be laughing at the jokes or, or giving the jokes that our coworkers are given by the drinking fountain and the guys are saying out in the shop that we, we should just have a different language. We, we shouldn't talk about the things that the world talks. We shouldn't be laughing at the things that the world laughs at. We shouldn't be laughing at sin. We shouldn't be, be, be just making a mockery of it. I think literally Christians, we ought to have a different speech than the world has. People should look at us and say, I can tell by the way you're talking, there's something different about you. You're, are you a Christian? Yeah. There ought to be a different language that Christians have. We shouldn't be just talking, and, and, and I, I'll even go on as far as to say not just talking with our mouth, but talking with our hands. Christians, I think our, our posts on Facebook ought to be God-honoring. I don't think we should fall in the trap of, of gossip and, and just ripping everything apart and being negative and, and conspiracy theory. I, I, I don't think we should be like everybody else in the world on what we post on Facebook and social media, okay? I think it ought to be different. Your post ought to be different than the unsaved world, okay? And if they're not, well, number one, just get off Facebook, stop wasting your time, uh, do something productive with your life, <laughs> but, but change it. You should have a different vocabulary than the world has. If you're going to post anything on Facebook, point people to Jesus. I mean, why, why wouldn't you do that? I don't, I don't, why wouldn't you? Church, I think that our marriage as Christians should be different. I think, I think we should have Christian marriages that are different. I just think so. I think Christians, I think you need to be married, okay? I'm just, I'm just telling you that. Uh, what 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 is my goal? Here's my goal. I think you should get married, I think you should go to school, I think you should get an education, I think you should get a job, and I think you should invite people out to church, and I think you should get people saved. And you know, we all do that for the next 30 or 40 years. You know, literally, you know, we'll own Milwaukee. I mean, right? Praise God, it won't be a problem. Because the world will say there's something different about those people. The problem today is that. There is no difference between the Christians and the unsaved. There's not. And so the unsaved comes and looks and says, well, why would I want to do that? I mean, what, what, what's different about you? You live like us. You act like us. You talk like us. You, your relationships are like us. Why would I want to be like you? There ought to be a difference. The world should see there's something different about Christians. And one of them is the way that we handle our relationships. I think our kids should be different. Uh, I, I think the way we raise our children, I think we should raise our children biblically. I think we need to look in the Bible and see what the Bible has to say about child raising. And I think we need to take it really seriously. I think you need to get some good Christian books on child raising. Uh, My favorite book is called What the Bible Says About Child Raising. Why? Because it's all the Bible. That's all it is. It's not some psychologist's ideas. And literally read a book like that and understand what does God say about raising my children and then do it. Well, my grandparents say I should do it this way. My cousin, my auntie, my neighbors, who cares what they say? This should be the instruction manual for raising our kids. Why? Because our kids should be different than the world's kids. They just should be. They should be. They ought to be in church, right? They ought to be learning Bible verses. They ought to be respectful to parents. I think our finances should be different. I I, Christians, I just think our finances need to be different. Christians are in as much debt as unsaved people. Ugh, guys, I just don't think that's right. You know, I just, consumer debt is just bad. If you're in debt, you know, get a book by Larry Burkett or, or one of these, these people that do finances thing and, and, and get your money under control and get out of debt and stop letting your money tell you what to do. You start telling your money what you want it to do. Okay, and We have a capital campaign. Don't say, well, I'd give, but I don't have any money. Well, your money's in control of you, not you in control of your money. Well, I'd sure like to go on a mission trip. I want to go on a mission trip again. I can't wait till COVID's over and we go on a mission trip. Well, I'd like to go, but I can't afford it. Well, that's your money telling you what to do. You be in charge of your money, and you tell your money what to do. Christians, our finances need to be different than the world's. Our entertainment needs to be different than the world's. What the world watches, what the world laughs at shouldn't be what Christians are watching and what Christians are laughing at, okay? Listen, people ask me this all the time. I don't even know what to say anymore. Pastor, you know, is this a good movie to watch? Is that a good, here's the deal. Here's the good thing. If we can't show the movie here on a Sunday morning, I'd probably say it's probably not the show you're supposed to be watching. Is that fair enough? Is that a good way to think about it? All right, okay. If you'd be embarrassed of us showing it, Okay, then I probably just wouldn't watch it. Right? Is that that's probably a good a good starting point, I think. You know what I'm saying? That's kind of what I think about it. But 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 here's what he says He says, you know, I came to show you how to walk, and I came to show you where to walk, because because your heart is desperately wicked and deceitful, and 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 you don't even and without God you won't even know what to do. It's an important thing that we think about that and that we we stop going towards evil, we stop going towards darkness, and we look at what is it that God would have me to say. What is it that God would have me to do with my marriage? So uh, I was thinking, Amy, I noticed you were playing French horn today. Thank you for getting back in the orchestra. I'm glad you finally got repentant on that and got your life dedicated. I've been telling her for months she needs to get back in the orchestra. Uh, Amy, we've been married for coming up on 29 years. So I had someone ask me the other day, Said, said, so Pastor, 29 years. Uh, last week I was doing a wedding, last Saturday, and a couple was talking to me So said, how, how in the world... Did you stay married for 29 years? You know the average of marriage right now is two years, and and that number keeps changing. Why? Because less and less people are getting married. (laughs) That's a problem. (laughs) Uh, But how do you how do you stay married for 29 years? It's very easy. How I stayed married for 29 years is I just never got a divorce. (laughs) Mm -hmm. To say, did you want to get a divorce? No, of course not. Never. Twenty-nine years. It wasn't me. It's my wife. It's, <laughs> it's all the time. I am like, divorcing. Yeah, uh, you, you stay married. Okay, you just do it. The, the D word's not part of it. You just stay. You just say, you know what? It's about me submitting to her. It's about her submitting to me. It's you know the Bible says the Bible says submit one to another. There's an attitude of submission of, of not me having my way all the time, not we me doing it, you know what I want to do, but an attitude of mutual submission to each other, where we want to work with each other and we want to make it work and we want to be a testimony to other people. Church, listen, if you're struggling in your marriage, would you get some help, get some counseling, change your attitude, and make it work? Why? Because the world is getting divorces faster than 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 you can count. We need to be different. Alright? Get help and make it work the best you can. How about raising your kids? I know we kind of mentioned this. <laughs> I love this verse. Can we look at this verse? we got, we got to be done. Look at this verse. Exodus chapter 18 verse 20. This is such a cool verse. This was written about 3,000 years ago. Probably about 3,500 years ago. Moses, this guy Moses, uh, his father-in-law was telling him what to do and how to even raise the kids. Look at this. Exodus chapter 18 verse 20. I'm going to paint this on our, our school classroom for our K-12 school, because I think it's so cool. And thou shalt teach them ordinances and laws, and shalt show them the way wherein they must walk and the work they must do. Your job, your job is to show them the way. Why? Because they don't know unless someone shows them the way. Well, my kids don't work. Well, that's because you maybe haven't shown them the way. Well, my kids don't do this. Maybe you haven't shown them the way. Parents, parents, please raise your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Uh, Teach your children. Don't assume they know something. Don't assume they're just going to turn out to be good kids. Well, I grew up and I was a good kid. Well, just because you were a good good kid doesn't mean your kids are going to be a good kid, but your, your kids won't be perfect. But here's the deal, parents. Don't don't give your kids anything to rebel against. Okay, what do I mean by that? I mentioned that to someone last night. They're asking me in the Luminar hike about child raising. Uh, here, here's here's my thought. Don't give them anything to rebel against. So what do I mean by that? Parents, you don't have to be perfect. You just need to be authentic. You need to be real. Be who you are. Who you are on Sunday morning needs to be the same person you are on Monday morning. Okay. If you're a different person when you walk out of these doors, your kids see that, and they don't know the word, but someday they'll learn the word. It's the word hypocrite. See, you all know it. Well, my, you know, my parents, they walk in the church, and they have the biggest King James Bible you had ever seen in your life, and it's... <laughs> and then they walk out of church, and then they rag about the church, or the pastor, or I don't like this, or somebody didn't say this, or their music choice, or their entertainment choice, or their movie choice, is totally contrary to, I have the King James, you know, <laughs> and kids see that. Now, listen, parents, please do not ever do this. I'm talking to all of us. Listen, please, I'm going to give you, I'm not even charging. Here's, here's really great help for you. Do not ever, do not ever tell your children. Don't do that. Don't let the principal of the Christian school know. Just keep it between us. You know what you're doing? You're teaching your children to be deceitful. Now I will make a prediction. It's not a good prediction, but I will make a prediction. If you've told your child, well, don't let the pastor know. I don't know why you would even care. I mean, who am I? What, what what am I gonna do? I mean, I'm not gonna spank you. What am I gonna do? I mean, right? <laughs> you know, don't tell the pastor. If you've done that. You taught your child to be deceitful. Now, listen, here's what's going to happen. They're going to grow up, and when they're 16, 17, 18 years old, guess who they're going to be deceitful to next? You. And they'll get a boyfriend or a girlfriend or whatever, and guess who they're going to lie about it to? You. You may start with them being deceitful to the pastor or the school principal, or the school teacher. If they're deceitful to them, they'll be deceitful to you. You will lose your child. Why? Because you gave them something to rebel against. Do not give them something to rebel against. So it doesn't mean you're perfect. It just means you're authentic. Okay, Be real. Parents, be real with your kids. Tra- raise your kids the, 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 the right way they understand it's about a relationship, not about a bunch of do's and don'ts. The relationships just need to be different. And, and, and you just teach your kids that we just love God. with and Every decision we make... It's about loving God. It's about having a relationship with God. Is God happy with that? Should we watch that? Should we go there? Should we do this? I don't know. What do you think God wants? Ask that question, you know? Instead of asking what's wrong with it, why don't you start asking what's right with it? Okay? And, and be honest about that. Just be, be, be serious about it. Uh, how about this verse, Philippians chapter 2? Look at verse 14. Do all things without murmuring and disputing, so that you may be blameless and harmless. You shine as the, uh, It goes on to say, you'll shine as the light of the world. Parents, teach your children to do all things without murmuring and complaining. Mom and dad, do you do, you do things without murmuring and complaining? Are you a complainer? Do you, are you critical about stuff all the time? Do you go to work and do you, are, you the, are you the complainer at work? Are you always, don't be like that. Are you the one that's always complaining about the government? Are you the one that's always complaining about things? Are you the one that's always critical? Don't be a critical person. The book of Psalms lays it out really good. It says, listen, don't even sit with people that are scorners or complainers. Why? Because it rubs off on you. It's just not the way to live this short life. <clears throat> I remember when we started this church, Some of you don't know, we started this church, my wife and I and two kids, our two boys, uh, me and Amy and Bryce and Cole, we had four people. And the goal the first year, after one year of church, was to have five people. Me, Amy, Bryce, Cole, and I thought we could pay the hotel custodian to show up. Uh, So our goal was to have five in the first year. And this is only 12 and a half years ago that there was four of us, okay? We very first started the church. And I remember we had some people visit the church, and they were scorners. They were critical about everything our church did. It didn't matter what we did. It didn't matter what, there was, there was well, I don't know, well, I, just complaining all the time. And I, someone told me this the other day. They're still not in a church. They bounce from church to church. They've complained about every church in, in southeast Wisconsin. They're, you know, they've lived in Waukesha their entire life, and they still don't have a church. Guys, number one, that's wrong. But number two, that's a miserable life. It's, it's miserable don't be a scorner don't live like that this is not life is too short don't be like that those poor people this is just what a what a sad epitaph on your tombstone you know everybody else was wrong but me uh, <laughs> Ephesians chapter 4: 22 you put off concerning the former conversation of your old man verse 31 of Ephesians chapter 4 let all bitterness wrath anger clamor evil speaking be put away from you with all malice so the purpose of the day spring was not only not only to give light to those in darkness, not only provide a way of salvation, but to show us how to live our life, to show us how to, how to take steps in life, how to have a, 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 the proper marriage, how to raise your kids correctly, how to deal with your finances, how to deal with relationships, how to deal with your relatives, how to deal with your boss, your co-worker, how to deal with the government. All through that book, is instructions on how to live life. And the reason that Christ came was not just to not just to give light to darkness, was to, but also to show you to guide your steps because life is hard, guys. I don't know about you, but life is hard. Some people on purpose make life harder. I don't understand why. Don't make life harder. Just follow this book and say... Here's the instructions about how to raise my kids. Here's the instructions about how to have a good marriage. Here's the instructions about how to be a good citizen. Here's the instructions about how to deal with my finances. Roll up your sleeves, start to learn this book, and start to apply it to your daily life, okay? That is one of the purposes of Jesus Christ's coming, was to show us how to live what I would call the Christian life, all right? And listen, it's not about, you know, well, there's a bunch of rules. It's not about a bunch of rules. I'll, I'll say this. Having, having standards, having standards don't make you a better Christian, but I'll say this, Christians should have standards, okay? You're not spiritual because you had standards, but spiritual people do have standards. Why? Because of the relationship, because I'm in love with my Heavenly Father, and what would Jesus do? What would He have me to do? What would He have me not to do? It's not about a checklist. It's about my relationship, all right? He came to give us guidance on how to live our job is to open up this book and find it. That's what our job is, all right? And the best news, of course, the best thing about the whole deal is that he came to die on the cross to pay for our sin debt. I just love using this verse. It's such a cool verse. John three sixteen 16 says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We've got a sin debt that needs to be paid. We've done things wrong. And God says, you know what? You've got a sin debt that needs to be paid. The story of Christmas, I'll send Jesus down, my son. He'll be born in a manger, but the story of Easter. He'll die on a cross, be buried three days later, rose again. When he dies, he'll pay that mortgage of our sin, buried three days later, rose again. And now God says, you know what? If these people just believe that my son paid their debt, I'll look at them through my son as forgiven. The debt had been paid. All you have to do is believe it. You have to trust, depend, rely upon it. Does being good pay for that sin? Does being good get rid of the debt? No. The Bible says the wages, the cost of that sin is death. The only way to pay for that is death. Someone has to die. Either you will spend an eternity in heaven or in hell paying for it forever, or you can accept the fact that when Jesus paid it, He paid it for you and he paid the sin debt all you can do is accept it god i realize i'm a sinner god i can't pay it i can't but i believe your son paid it for me and god says you know what you are forever part of my family that is the good news of christmas would you share that with someone this week would you we share it with all the people that come to our luminary hike i think pastor tanny uh, does a wonderful job of the tomb giving the gospel i heard some people last night walking out after the tomb and the one lady says, she says, he said, all we have to do is just accept it to believe that Jesus paid our sin debt. And the guy next to him says, "says I can't be right. That means we can just live like garbage however we want to live, and, and God will still accept us into heaven. And she's like, no, that is right. <laughs> we'll never be good enough to get to heaven. You can't pay it. Someone has to pay the debt, and Jesus Christ did. Let's close with a word of prayer, guys, and let's be done today. Heavenly Father, we had a good study today in Luke, and we're going to keep talking about the Christmas story here in the weeks to come. Lord, as we celebrate this week, help us not to forget the reason you came, to give light to those that are stuck in darkness Hmm. and to guide our feet. You, You came to show us the way. Father, I pray you'd work in all of our hearts today. Lord, help us just to remember that we're not supposed to be like the world. We're just supposed to be different. Would you work in our hearts, Father, maybe Maybe there's some lifestyle choices that's, that we're making that just aren't pleasing to you. Lord, we, the world needs to see we're different. We're not the same. We're different. They need to know that we're Christians. Not rudely, not, a, not, not being brash, not being obnoxious. But they need to see that we're Christians by our love, by the, by the way we live our life. Would you work in our hearts, Father, all of our hearts, mine included, to know and study out what you would have us to do in our marriage, with our child raising, with our finances, and we would know that. Thank you, Lord, that everyone made it out today for the wonderful service we have. In your name we pray, amen. We are very interested in you and your spiritual growth. If you want to contact Dayspring for prayer or more information, you can reach us at 262-404-5092 or on the web at dayspringbaptist.com. Thanks for listening.